Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're launching into a discussion of a topic that probably was not one that you were discussing at the lunch table or breakfast or dinner or whatever meal you were having with loved ones. It's the topic of joyful transformation. Have you heard that one lately? It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's relevant to every single one of us. To help us explore it is an expert on the subject, Deborah Meal. Deborah, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. You know, so many people today are dealing with issues of health challenge, financial challenge, family issues. And I'm not just speaking about Indian country. This is throughout the the whole world, really. People are challenged. And many times as I, as a physician, deal with patients in the office, it seems like they need an infusion of hope, encouragement, and just having some motivation to do something different in their lives rather than feeling like they're just victims. This whole topic of joyful transformation has got my interest. How did it get your interest? Well, uh, what happened was is that uh, 18 years ago, I married my soulmate. Uh, we're still married today. Uh, 18 months after we got married, uh, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I needed to change occupations. Uh, the direction of our life, our family was in absolute chaos. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, I became an ordained minister uh, with a doctorate in divinity, and I am also um, a dialectical behavioral skills trainer. And that's just a fancy way of saying that we treat people with emotional and mood disorders. This is fascinating, Deborah, and it's such a great example of one of the things that I see so often as a physician, and that is something bad, quote, bad happens in someone's life, there are difficulties, and instead of it weighing them down, they use that energy, that that challenge to redirect themselves. And so you did that. You actually changed careers. What were you doing before you went into the more uh, pastoral counseling type of careers? I actually was a paramedic for 10 years, and I taught emergency medicine uh, and crisis intervention. That was my specialty. So, again, I was on a path um, that I was, quite frankly, being led on. And when, again, the change was made, I believe it was because that was where I was supposed to be in life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the other tremendous part of your story is even though it was a relational challenge, a mental health challenge in in your loved one and your husband, you actually uh, managed to stay coarse and the two of you are still together. Well, it was a lot of hard work, um, but... The, the core in, in regards to what it is that we teach and about joyful transformation is that if you believe that change is hard, if you tell yourself all the time that change is hard, you're very unlikely to make any kind of change in your life. And so when we are told over and over by society that, um, you, you know, our lessons come to us hard or that we're stubborn or that we're hard-headed or any of that, if you start believing that, there's no place then for you to step into the flow of life, for you to step into what your creator has for you, 
Um, and so we become resistant. And resistance just produces more hardship instead of being able to step into the flow and or step into the fire. Well, let's talk about illustrating this. You've worked with so many people, and I think already people are getting glimpses of hope because many people that tune in, again, and it doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter whether they're on a reservation today. It doesn't matter whether they're a Native American living in an urban setting, whether they're not Native at all. I mean, every one of us is touched by these kind of mental health and physical health challenges, even if we're perfectly sound, if there's any such thing. Uh, we're not dealing with any great malady, we may think, but uh, people around us are suffering. Tell us a story about someone that you worked with using this uh, dialectical behavioral therapy and really saw a change, a real difference. Um, I had a woman that came into my program uh, that was very disheartened um, and what I happen to believe in medication, but there's not a medication to fix bad relationships, and there's not a medication, again, to fix you if you're in a job that you hate. Mm -hmm. And she was in a terrible relationship. Um, she had tried to kill herself 17 times before wow. she came to us. Um, and she spent a period of six months with us. Um, she turned her life around. Um, she changed what she ate. She changed the way that she thought about things. She changed her name. She got a divorce. She went back to school, um, and she was finally able to live on her own. And she had not lived on her own for like 35 years. So that's just one of the stories that I can tell you. So I'm interested in this. You mentioned a period of time in, quote, living with you or working with you. Is this an outpatient therapy? Do people actually come to a, a facility for such uh, therapy? How does that work? Um, we actually have a 90-day residential program, and so I take people for no less than 90 days um, within my program, and they actually live with us. Um, I have a large home. We're five bedrooms, five and a half bathrooms, um, and so I take up to four clients at a time, and we do everything that we can do. Um, to be able to um, help them change their lives. Well, you talk about a commitment. I mean, these people are living with you 24-7. That's correct, because if, if you're going to, again, help people with emotional disorders, they need to be taken out of the chaos that they're in most of the time, um, and they need to actually learn new skills. And you need to learn those skills from the moment you wake up until the moment that you go to bed. Um, and you need to give your brain actually a chance to slow down and to heal and to learn about mindfulness and awareness and tolerance and those types of things. And there's no other way to do that that I can, that I believe in, quite frankly, other than stepping into a full immersion program. Wow. I, I mean, I know of mental health uh, residential programs, but I don't know that I've actually heard of any other that requires at least a 90-day stay. Is that unusual, or am I just not in touch with um, Most um, insurance runs out um, at the end of 30 days, and so most people that are in 30-day programs, most residential programs take 30 or 40 people at a time, and there's virtually no way that you can help somebody change their lives in 30 days because it takes longer than that for the brain to heal, and it takes longer than that to actually build in a sustainable routine um, for people to actually be able to make that shift. You know, it's interesting you mention this. I, I have a good friend who actually does run 
a residential program for mental health. Everything I've seen, you know, of his messaging is he's saying, I think he calls it like a six-month program. I mean, people aren't residential for the whole six months, but he's basically saying the same thing you are. I mean, he's doing it in a different way, but he's saying, you know, there's no way you can fix this in a short time. So let's talk a little bit more about this uh, this concept of joyful transformation. What led you to come up with that catchphrase for what you do? <laughs> well, I'm not really sure. Um, other than I can just tell you there are times where I am tapped into my creator and or the divine flow and things come to me. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, what I, again, believe at a core level is that if you believe change is hard, you're not going to do it. And so change isn't difficult. Resistance is difficult. And so if you want to make joyful transformation, you have to develop willingness in your life. You have to be able to do what's needed in the moment. You need mm-hmm. to be able to focus on what's effective. You need to listen carefully to the, that guiding voice that's within you. Because willfulness is just the opposite of that. Willfulness is refusing to tolerate the moment, refusing to take action, or refusing to do what's needed in the moment. And we get stuck in, again, our stinking thinking from our past and from our experiences, and we get dug in and sometimes unwilling. And when we become unwilling, we create suffering. Pain is inevitable in this reality in this lifetime. Suffering is optional, and suffering just means that I've added my opinion to the pain that I'm in. Hmm. Interesting. so when I add my opinion, it usually is something like, this is terrible, this is awful, I can't stand it, Um, when is it going to end, I'll never make it through this. All of those statements just heap more pain and suffering onto us, and so... We teach our clients to become mindful and aware of their own stinking thinking so that they can step out of their chaos and out of their suffering and just experience each moment as it comes. You know, all of this sounds so empowering, and yet I know that there's a segment of the population that is is really challenging both families and health professionals, and that's those who are dealing with dementia. And when we talk about rearranging thinking, uh, are there people, I mean, just frank question, are there people who can be so challenged? Maybe, uh, I'm thinking of, of folks, maybe in later stages of Alzheimer's, they really can't change their thinking, but the battle then shifts to family? Is is that sometimes the case? Absolutely. And it shifts into our being able to tolerate and be resilient in regards to what's going on with them. So again, if I approach this individual in my family that this is horrible, that this is awful, that I'm being robbed, that something's being taken from me, Mm. all of that then doesn't allow me to stay in the moment and enjoy my loved one in in the state that they're in. So if I can't help them, again, obtain these skills, and by the way, um, there are segments of population that actually do this very well, um, that actually have learned um, how to hold the hand of somebody that's not doing well, how to hold the hand and comfort them um, and be compassionate and, mm. quite frankly, even help them cross over um, into the light. Um, many shamanic traditions have done this um, for thousands of years. 
And it's one of those things that it's a gift to be able to, again, sit with somebody uh, and be able to accept them in the moment for 100% of who they are right now in that moment. So tell us a story, because you've worked with a lot of people who are challenged with uh, family members who have mental health issues. Uh, tell us a story about dementia and a family that maybe has come to grips with that better as a result of some of these techniques. Well, I can actually even share um, my own family. Uh, my my grandmother uh, ended up with organic brain disease. Um, it was very, very difficult because she became um, very angry um, and was intolerant of basically everybody that was around us. Mm. And the thing in regards to taking care of her um, that I learned um, in regards to her intolerance is that that just meant that I needed to be more tolerant. Wow. I needed to be more accepting. I needed to have radical acceptance that this wasn't who she had been 20 years before, but it's who she was right now in the moment. Mm-hmm. So the thing that's the most difficult for many family members is that they watch their loved ones slip away. They're no longer the person that they were before, and so that becomes very, very difficult. And if we can step into, again, our own transformation, it allows us to then be able to have a realistic view of what's happening to that loved one that we're with. And that's the way I approached it um, because I... At the very end, I made quilts. That was my distress tolerance skill. Mm-hmm. And so I made bunches of quilts all day long because I needed to be with her, and yet I also needed to be able to keep my mind active. Mm. And so um, I spent time with her, um, and then when I needed a break, I stepped away and actually did an activity uh, that, again, focused my thinking so that I wasn't thinking about what was going to happen next. Well, wow, this is fascinating stuff. We do have to step away here briefly. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking to Deborah Meal. She's the founder of the Meal Foundation. We'll hear more about that in our next segment. But we're especially focused on how behavioral skills can make a difference as far as the very things that you might be challenged with, things that you're dealing with. So whether it's your own health, the health of a loved one, whether it's mental health challenges, we are talking in this program about joyful transformations. And by the way, if you stay with us, we're going to tell you about Deborah's book. It's actually called, no surprises, Joyful Transformation, 22 Keys to Reclaiming Your Authenticity. You don't want to miss that. We'll be coming back with more from Deborah. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with my guest, Deborah Meal. Deborah is the founder of the Meal Foundation. And Deborah, I'm really wondering what the foundation is all about. I'm sure our listeners are as well, so share that with us. Um, we actually have uh, two segments of the foundation. One is that we run a 90-day residential program uh, for people that have mood and emotional disorders. Um, specifically, usually it looks like things like anxiety and depression and sometimes bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. And the second half of the segment uh, that we do um, is we put on weekend retreats um, for um, women to step into their authenticity and um, through a variety of different ways. Now, this is really interesting. So I'm thinking maybe... Uh tribal health uh, person is is listening in, maybe a tribal council member, and they're looking at some kind of an event in the future, are you someone that would would go anywhere to speak on these topics? I do. In fact, I'm going to be in Denver next week, and following me, uh, well, actually it's um, in March, it's in Denver, and then in the third week of, of March, I'm actually in Regina, Canada. Wow, so you are traveling quite a bit. I am. And so in these weekend retreats, give us a feel for what happens. Um, We have a variety of topics uh, from Joyful Transformation. Um, The next one that we're actually going to do is called Elemental Healing, uh, and it is in regards to um, shamanic transformation is what Mm. it's called, Elemental Healing, and it uses, again, it draws in a lot of ancestral healing, uh, that uh, a lot of my clients are actually interested in, uh, and again, using again uh, the healing modalities of the shamanic tradition um, with um, the skills uh, of this particular reality. Because 
It's very interesting. When we talk about these topics on a show like American Indian Living, a lot of my guests are aware that this show goes out on something like 170 stations. Some of them are people that are very close to these shamanic traditions like you mentioned, and whether they call it a, a medicine person or a shaman. or Others are listening from urban areas. Uh, they identify with a, a Christian mindset or, or Judaism or one of the other uh, religions that take in large numbers of people in our planet. And it, what's so interesting to me, Deborah is when we speak about this spiritual dimension, different people have very different concepts. I know some of the Christian listeners to the show, they'll say, hey, we've been studying the Bible. When someone dies, they're asleep. They don't know anything. And then other people say, hey, no, I've experienced this. Uh, you know, loved ones are communicating with me and get into interesting dialogues about you know, how to explain all those things. But the point of the show, of course, is not to wade into those spiritual topics, you know, we acknowledge them, but I'm fascinated because you are trying to connect with people wherever they're at and move them along in this journey of regaining some level of normalcy as far as their mental health. With that in mind, this borderline personality disorder that you mentioned, I think is one of the most misunderstood diagnoses among lay people. Help us understand what this is, what it looks like, and why it's important to know about it. Sure. The borderline personality disorder or any personality disorder are maladaptive coping mechanisms. That's what a personality disorder is. It's a maladaptive coping mechanism. So if your coping mechanism changes, the question then becomes, do you still have the disorder? Hmm. And it's very fascinating because people that test a particular way um, after receiving the correct coping skills and changing their brain chemistry and learning how to step into the flow. And it's as you said, um, everybody comes from a different spiritual background. And what I like to say is that the only thing that being an ordained minister with a doctorate in divinity gives you is that, and 25 cents gets you a cup of coffee. Okay. What I can do is I help people tap into their belief system so that they can heal mind, body, and soul. Because my belief system is that if you don't heal, if you heal only one aspect of a person, they are still out of balance. And they never get to fully experience their true authenticity, and to step into, again, the flow of life. Mm -hmm. It never becomes easy for them. So when people come to me that have been broken mentally, spiritually, or physically, that has to be corrected. Those things have to be corrected for them to be a fully functioning member in society, in their family, and within themselves. So help us now, as we're trying to apply some of these concepts, because I think many like me are saying, well, this is very interesting, you know, this work that you're doing, intensive therapy, having people live with you for 90 days or longer, you're getting great results you've, you've shared with us. So what does it look like if I'm in the workplace? Let's say I work in a, a tribal enterprise and I'm there and maybe there's uh, someone working alongside me. Maybe they're not native. I may even feel... They don't appreciate the Native culture, even though they got a job from the nation there that they're working for. But um, how would I, as a layperson, say this person 
sounds like they may have a borderline personality disorder. Is that even useful for someone to make that connection? Well, I think it is useful because if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it's a duck, right? Okay, fair enough. That the thing of it is is that we try to make all of this very lofty. And um, again, 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago, people had maladaptive coping mechanisms and we dealt with it differently um, than we do now. And that doesn't make it right or wrong. It just makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And so it is sometimes, um, if I know that somebody has a particular diagnosis or they've had a particular trauma, the only way that that information helps me as a layperson is to develop more compassion. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I am walked on by this individual. It doesn't mean that I don't develop good boundaries. Um, And it doesn't mean that I don't take care of myself. But it does mean that I'm able to develop certain skills in regards to this individual that, again, that I can be more tolerant of. And so as I look personally, at least, at my clients, I liken it to a stool that has three legs on it. Our ego, you know, is that stool, and the three legs on that stool are power and control, security and survival, and esteem and affirmation. Mm. And if I lash out at somebody, it's because one of those legs on my stool is out of balance. So as somebody says something unfortunate, you know, Uh, in regards to the workplace or in my family or whatever the case may be, I began looking to see, again, um, is it a power and control? Does this person feel like they don't have any power? Is this a security issue? Is this this somebody who believes that they're not going to have a home, that they don't have enough finances, that they don't have a way to take care of themselves? Or is this an esteem and affirmation problem? Do they feel less than? Is that why they've lashed out? Um, at me because they feel less than, not because I've necessarily done something. So the only way, again, that this is helpful information is that we're able to develop, again, unconditional love and compassion for those people that grow around. So if you're working alongside of someone with a borderline personality disorder, are they more likely, if that stool is out of balance, to lash out, to be verbal, to kind of play people against one another in the workplace? Are are those generalities true or not? Right, because it it makes them feel powerful. The drama actually fuels their brain. It actually fuels their prefrontal cortex, and it actually makes them feel better about themselves. If people around them um, are discombobulated or fighting or not getting along, it makes them feel powerful. And lots of times, then they end up even going back in and trying to save things, um, uh, you know, save the, uh, a particular relationship. But in the meantime, they lots of times get to feel like a victim because people are angry with them. So it becomes a vicious, cyclic suffering of, again, the same kind of drama and trauma and broken relationships and broken families um, that they go through until, again, they can gently um, be led away from that. So one of the powerful messages I hear you communicating, Deborah, is that if someone is mistreating me, if they're being insensitive to my culture, if they're uh, seeming to stir up problems in the workplace, in the family, instead of my initial response being one of, of anger and hostility and trying to control the person, I need to be understanding, try to realize where they're coming from and realize they're obviously struggling. Absolutely. And that still doesn't mean that you have to, again, um, tolerate bad behavior. Um, 
Um, I had a, a gentleman in hospice tell me he actually worked around the death and dying, and he used to say, just because you're dying doesn't give you the right to be an ass. Hmm. So I want you to know that I've taken that on. Um, so just because, again, uh, you have a particular diagnosis or you have something wrong, that doesn't give you the right to harm other people. Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't give you, again, the right to make other people's lives miserable. And so we all in a community need to, again, understand and tolerate and, again, and yet do better. Um, you know, we, we need to become more mindful. We need to have more skills. We need to have more love, more tolerance, more acceptance because that's the only thing that turns cultures and families around. Great messages. Deborah. we have to step away. I did promise our listeners that we would hear more about your book, and I have not delivered on that, so stay American with us. We will Indian come right back we'll in a moment. to talking about joyful transformation, about 22 keys to reclaiming call your authenticity. Deborah Meal is staying by. You do the same. We'll be right back after this. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. DeRose for our second half of American Indian Living. With me, Deborah Meal. Deborah is the founder of the Meal Foundation. She's been sharing with us her insights into mental health, and more than that, really whole person health. Deborah, we've mentioned a couple of times that you're the author of a book called Joyful Transformation. Tell us a bit about that book. Who might want to pick up a copy and what it would do for them to actually read it? Well, 
um, I think anybody that wants to be able to um, start a transformational process in their life uh, that no longer believes or wants it to be hard any longer, the 22 keys are um, a way to look at different areas of your life, and then there's a small journaling section after each of the 22 keys to be able to record your thoughts and your progress along the way. I really like that. I like that uh, workbook component to books, and it makes it uh, much more interactive and practical. It's surprising to me, though, the subtitle. And I know we've been talking about it, but joyful transformation. We've been talking about all the reasons why people need transformations. But reclaiming your authenticity, that to me doesn't immediately connect with a joyful transformation. I mean, authenticity, well, you know, being who you are, whatever. I know we've talked a little bit about this, but somehow I don't think most people put those things together. Is that just me or have you heard this observation from other people? Well, my thought about the authenticity component is this. I believe that we are spiritual beings having a human existence. And the interesting thing about stepping into your authenticity, I mean, we hear those cliches all the time about, you know, you can't be somebody else. But lots of times we grow up wanting to be like, again, a rock star or like an athlete or like our dad or like whatever. Um, And I think what happens is that we shortchange ourselves. Hmm. And I personally believe that when you step into your authenticity, when you step into who it is that you are meant to be, who the Creator meant you to be, that the Creator then gets to experience life through you. And so what happens if we're trying to be somebody else is that we're usually miserable. And there's, again, not usually a pill for that. And so when you step in to your living on purpose, um, to the experience of what it is that I call that your soul's desire is, Mm -hmm. Um, We step into this amazing ability to connect, um, again, with the ether, whatever you want to call it, with the heaven above, to the land that we're on. We're able to make that divine connection uh, and then being able to live a life that actually feels um, really good to us. And so, again, it's that mind-body-spirit connection that makes that happen. And that's what the book's about. I so appreciate this uh, this concept because I think so often, whether we're talking about someone being raised on a reservation, whether it's with someone who has native roots, maybe they grew up during the boarding school era, they were told they couldn't speak a tribal language, uh, they were given this message overtly and uh, covertly, if you will, that it was bad to be native. A lot of times, whether it's in Indian culture, whether it's in another culture, we're put in situations where we're told we can't be who we are. And what to me is refreshing throughout Indian country is I think there's this recognition that we need to embrace that authenticity as a people. But I hear you saying it's not just recognizing your cultural identity, it's actually realizing that you, I mean, is it putting words in your mouth to say that everyone has some kind of unique calling in life, or are you saying that? I believe that they, I I believe that if you are meant to pump gas and that brings you joy, that that's what it is that you should do. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it it can be a cultural issue. 
but I came from a family that believed that I was supposed to um, be an RN. I was supposed to be a registered nurse. My, my family was actually profoundly disappointed that I only became a paramedic. <laughs> now, you think about that, it's just, at, you know, it's kind of mind-boggling. But I went through my entire youth of my 20s, you know, doing everything that I could to obtain favor. Uh, in regards to a grandmother that um, was disappointed that not only did I not become an RN, but I didn't marry a rich man. And so um, I had a different path. And because of that, um, you know, that black sheep kind of mentality uh, went with me. And um, I needed to step out of that. And we grew up extraordinarily um, poor in many ways, at least Mm -hmm. monetarily. Mm -hmm. So... If you are trying to step into your authenticity and you've been given messages throughout your life um, in regards to the color of your skin, the shape of your eyes, the color of your hair, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's a message of less than, um, there is a way that you can break out of that message and actually step into your personal power. And I believe that we do that again with honoring um, the spirit um, of our understanding um, and who we are, um, again, uh, and, and what it is that we're meant to be, you know, within our hearts. So basically, if I'm wanting to go on that journey, one way to do it would be to come to you and go through a 90-day program if I feel I have serious issues. But if I feel that uh, maybe I need help, but I'm not quite ready to take that leap for three months, I can pick up the book Joyful Transformation, and that'll get me started. Am I, am I hearing that? Absolutely. And I also do um, online coaching. Um, mm-hmm. And so some people just need, again, a good jump start, and they're able to do the rest of the work on their own. I like that idea. So how does someone connect with you and get that online coaching, find out more about the book, and maybe get some other resources that you might have? They can go to www.meehlfoundation.org. Okay. And from there, it's an easy list to follow of the spiritual retreats that we have, where I'm going to be speaking, uh, and again, um, and the coaching also. So your last name is Meal, M-E-E-H-L. Correct. And if I can remember your last name, Meal, and that you run a foundation... I just type in mealfoundation.org, and that'll bring me to your website. Absolutely. Let me ask you something else here, because we've been speaking about different challenges in life. You mentioned this dynamic about finances, and maybe there's no place that has seen the swings in financial fortunes as much as an Indian country. I can remember some uh, tribal members that I'm close to in a tribe some miles from where I live just really living in abject poverty. They, uh, some years ago, were a tribe that did open a casino. Of course, that brings up a you know, whole other dialogue, even in Indian country, and uh, dramatically changed the financial picture of that tribe. And so people that were living with nothing now had much more. And that brought some good things, but it also brought challenges as well. Why I'm highlighting that financial dimension is because we've been speaking about ways that people limit us, people brand us, 
things that keep us from maybe achieving who we were called to be. And often, like you said in your family, there are certain financial expectations. Tell us a little bit more about why those are so dangerous, why they can really destroy a person. The expectations or the money? Well, (laughs) you're exactly right. I ask these complicated questions. You can take them either way. But I'm actually especially thinking of the expectations. Well, the expectation, um, expectation always sets us up for failure. The problem with, again, um, not understanding money, not understanding how the financial system works, is that if you are um, within a family that doesn't have stocks and bonds and municipals, and all of a sudden you're given a million dollars, and you don't know how to manage that, and you don't know how to evaluate people, to help you manage that, that's where people tend to get into trouble. Mm. And there's actors and actresses. It's not just tribal cultures that have a problem with that. People win the lottery and are absolutely dead broke five years later after winning, a, you know, $100 million. And you just you ask yourself, well, what happened and where did it go? Most of them will tell you that they didn't have any skill in it. And, of course, then, again, they were surrounded with, you know, other family that, you know, was trying to suck some of that money off of the top, along with financial advisors that didn't really care about how much return that the money got, as long as they got paid first. Mm. So part of the understanding of, again, having money is to, again, be able to surround yourself if you don't know what to do to surround yourself with honest people that do. Henry Ford um, made a comment. Um, he was taken to court and made a comment. Somebody said, well, you don't know about how to do this. And he goes, that's right, but I know how to hire people that do know how to do it. I don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. So one of the things in regards to, you know, again, your expectation or being able to raise, you know, to pull yourself um, out of a dire situation, and certainly poverty is one of those things, is that, You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have the ability to have somebody help you find the answers. And we do that when we step into, again, I believe, when we step into the divine flow that the Creator has for us, everything then becomes a learning opportunity. It's interesting because you're really connecting with what I would say is one of the most uh, deeply seated Native values, and that is the value of community. And what I hear you saying is, realizing who you are is not just an individual apart from everyone else. You're a part of a larger whole. And how does that social dynamic affect what you do in your day-to-day work? Well, I think it affects in everybody's day-to-day work. If you're part of a community or part of a family, you can be a part of a family that has incredible dysfunction. Um, And again, you can feel like the oddball out, and you very well may be. Um, I can remember growing up in my family, I was about four or five years old. I mean, I I literally looked around and said to myself, I'm surrounded by crazy people. Mm. And um, there was some truth to that even when I was four. So you can, again, um, you can honor the culture and the community that you're in and still become strong in knowing who you are so that you can walk a different path if that's necessary. I like this because so many times people are given messages from other family members that if you don't follow the very same trajectory, somehow that's bad. I've heard of people who 
come from humble surroundings. And they say, well, when I went back home, they didn't treat me like one of them. They acted like, well, who was I to get an education? Now you think you're better than us. But that person didn't feel that way at all. Is that a common scenario? It is, and it has to do with their ego, remember? Mm -hmm. It's security and survival, power and control, and esteem and affirmation. And if I feel less than, then I'm going to do whatever I can on my part to make you feel bad about who you are. Wow. Well, we've got to talk some more about these really uh, transformative concepts. You call it Joyful Transformation, 22 Keys to Reclaiming Your Authenticity. That's the book. And uh, if you're just joining us, Deborah Meal, the author, has her own foundation, the Meal Foundation. You can get more information there at Meal, M-E-E-H-L, foundation.org. We're going to come back with a final segment. Deborah's got some other great information you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. We will be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're tuned in to the final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with my special guest, Deborah Meal. 
Deborah has been with us from the top of the hour. She is Dr. Deborah Meal. She has a doctorate in divinity. She's been helping people sort out their lives. And really, it's something that I think all of us need on some level. And Deborah, as we're talking about the topic, you know, one thing that none of us can avoid is stress. Stress comes at everybody that we call them stressors, challenges. What can help us be more resilient as we deal with these uh, unavoidable challenges? Well, I think the first is that um, I want to say that you can raise your threshold to tolerate terrible things. Mm. We saw that, again, things like Auschwitz, things like the terrible mass shootings that we have. We can actually raise our threshold to, again, to live through those types of experiences without it harming the rest of our lives. And I think that part of that, again, is a mindset. But one of the things that we need to do to raise our resilience is that we need to have strong bodies. We need to take care of physical illnesses. Mm. We need to eat correctly. And, again, that doesn't mean, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I don't eat, you know, ding-dongs and ho-hos and chug that with chocolate milk and think that that's the way that my creator wants me to eat because it's available at the supermarket. Um, That's not the way that we were programmed. We need to be able to get enough sleep, uh, and we need to be able to sleep, again, uh, not just the quality of sleep or the quantity of sleep, but the quality of sleep, too. And last but not least, we need to be able to uh, get some sort of exercise. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in a lifestyle that doesn't promote, again, well-being of your body temple, whatever you believe about that, if you're not taking care of your mind and your body, There's no way that you're going to be able to handle your emotions. Our brains are wired for logic and emotion. And what happens when we become emotional is logic flies right out the window. Mm. This is so interesting because here we're speaking about brain health and behavioral health, and you bring us right back to some of the very topics. It's kind of interesting that the very things you mentioned, Deborah are things that we've been talking about in Indian country. We're doing a a project right now that's focused on diabetes, trying to give uh, tribes additional diabetes resources. And we're saying, you know what? They're the same kind of resources you need to take charge of your blood pressure. And the reason for that connection is I've been working a lot with that topic lately. We have a book on blood pressure control. And the things we talk about in the diabetes and the blood pressure education is... Just what you highlighted. We talk about diet. We talk about exercise. We talk about getting enough sleep. It's as if you don't have to uh, struggle over what you're trying to avoid. You know, are you concerned about diabetes, heart disease, cancer, brain health? It's basically the same program, the same elements, isn't it? It is. And when we, again, um, get rid of the processed food in our diet and we go back to eating natural food that you actually, you know, grow in your garden, or I tell people, you know, when you shop in the supermarket, it should be along the wall, not in the center line, Mm -hmm. you know, the center lanes of the grocery store with where all the bad stuff is. So if you eat the produce and get grass-fed meat that isn't, you know, pumped full of hormones, or you're, again, hunting wild game, all of my family um, has hunted wild game, so I grew up eating that. Um, and then grains that haven't been modified. Um, When you do a small amount of grain, again, with a large amount, a larger amount of protein, uh, again, 
Uh, that's what we know the brain absolutely has to have is that protein to actually build new brain cells and, again, new muscle for our body. Yeah, I mean, this is really a fascinating topic, and we could spend a whole uh, hour speaking about brain health. You, you know, these neurotransmitters that we make, of course, made from proteins, and yet uh, the research is fascinating. Of course, we need the protein, but if we're getting insufficient carbs, we can't move those proteins into the brain. So your emphasis on getting that fresh produce, I mean, that is so critical, and many people miss that part of the message. Let me hone in on something because this is something we brought up earlier in the in the program, and I know you have a special interest in it. It has to do with dementia. You have mentioned this lifestyle approach, helping us be more resilient. The person with dementia, depending on where they're at in that disease process, they may not be as focused on trying to improve their resiliency. But just tell us a little bit about what the medical literature is telling us about the importance of exercise when it comes to individuals who already have some challenges with dementia. Well, I think that, you know, everything points to the fact that if you can get more blood flow into the brain, the better it is. So the way I explain it to people, and it doesn't matter if it's dementia or it's mental illness or whatever the case may be, if you don't have enough blood flow, it's kind of like I was raised in a community where the farmers um, every spring put rubber bands around the little lamb's tails and they all dropped off. Well, if you can imagine, your brain needs blood flow. Mm. And if you don't give it the right amount of blood flow, there's no way for it to continue to function the way that it is. And this is a great analogy. So this old, uh, you know, use it or lose it, it's more to it than just that. It's not just using the brain, using the muscles, but it's uh, actually really getting the nutrition there, and it comes via the circulation, right? Absolutely. Um, there's also been a lot of research um, with low-pressure hyperbaric um, I actually bought one of those about a month ago. I have a low-pressure hyperbaric oxygen uh, tube in my house now um, because I had several clients that were actually in need of that. Um, so it's one of those things that there are several things that we can do. Even the small things make a very big difference. And so, again, making that step, it's not just baby steps. When you decide to make, again, a launch to make things different in your life, you throw out all the stuff in the cupboard. Um, that, again, you were eating that isn't helpful, um, and you focus on the things that are helpful. And, again, when you do that, just changing your diet can then change your sleep pattern. It changes your exercise pattern. It then, again, promotes you to have more energy, and things start to flow differently in your life. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the hyperbaric oxygen. I was at a clinic oh, probably a couple years ago. We actually featured this clinic. It's, a, it's named after uh, a native name. It's called Yuchi Pines. Some of our listeners who are regulars may have heard some of our interviews with some of the staff at Yuchi Pines Institute there in, in Alabama. And they had these uh, hyperbaric units that they were using for various uh, different conditions. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with hyperbaric therapy, I mean, most people, if they know about it and Going back years ago, they may have thought about it being used to treat the bends or, you know, the disorder you get when you when you dive sometimes, caisson's disease they may have heard of. 
But hyperbaric therapy is being used for a lot of things. What have you learned about it that uh, convinced you to get one of these units? Well, as a brain-healthy coach, and I'm a brain-healthy coach through the Amen Clinic, Dr. Daniel Amen from Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, mm-hmm. and I just had a multitude of clients that came into my program that had either had multiple concussions as children or as adults, and what we found was that when they had spec images of their brains, and that's an image that actually shows the brain and the blood flow to the brain, when we actually saw those brains, there were brains that could be better. And one of the ways to help those brains get better through things like that have had concussions, multiple concussions, and, for example, the NFL players, you can actually go online and see spec images of brains before hyperbaric oxygen and brains after hyperbaric oxygen. There's just absolutely no comparison. And so we know that forcing that blood into that brain actually helps those brains do better. So hyperbaric is higher pressure. That's literally what it refers to. But you mentioned low pressure hyperbaric. Does that mean it's still higher than atmospheric pressure, but not real? It is. It's not the same as you said, the divers that need it for the bend. It's a lower pressure unit. And again, that's been shown by research to work very well for, again, uh, certain forms of dementia and also for concussions. Wow, fascinating stuff. Deborah, we are about out of time, but I want to give you one more opportunity because some folks may have just joined us. They're finding what you're sharing fascinating. They want more. They want to learn about your clinic. Tell us uh, contact information. It is www.meehlfoundation.org, and all of my contact information and my phone number is on my website. Wow, that is great. And if someone wants to pick up a copy of the book, Joyful Transformation, is the website the best place to go? Well, actually, Amazon.com is the best place to go. And they can read an excerpt, and they can get it in Kindle, or they can actually get a copy. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Deborah, we have to step away. It is time to say goodbye, but hopefully today's show has been one that has really opened some new horizons for you. Deborah Meal and the Meal Foundation is there to try to make a difference for you, and that's what we're all about at American Indian Living. Well, for all of us, I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.